Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. So let's uh, begin our, uh, our chapter two of this. As you enjoy your uh, bread pudding that tastes just like Grandma used to make it, I hope. Um, but I have several announcements before I, I ask Belinda forward, um, and I'll just kind of move through these quickly without dwelling on them in a long-winded uh, fashion. But tonight, uh, the student uh, union is uh, sponsoring a debate between Brian Mason and Danielle Smith, and that's happening. Yes, that kind of, should be an interesting event, and it's, it's uh, in the student union building uh, starting at 7 o'clock, so in you may, in, in the ballroom it's called. Uh, next Thursday, uh, at this time, uh, we're dealing with what promised to be a fairly controversial issue, namely drilling for oil and gas within the city limits. And uh, uh, Tim Robillard and David Hill from the oil industry side are presenting, and that should be very interesting indeed. Uh, but I want you to know about the two forums for fora for uh, uh, city elections. Uh, next Wednesday night at the library, I think these all start at 7 o'clock, um, uh, next Wednesday night is the, the forum for city councillor candidates. And Thursday night, same time, same place, 7 o'clock at the library is uh, the mayorality candidates. So, And Trevor Page is moderating that. So that promises to be an opportunity to sort out the issues. That's right. Um, I knew if I missed something, some of these uh, wise people would uh, prompt me. There, there is a teleconference connection for the Thursday night, Wednesday and Thursday night sessions regarding the city elections, a teleconference connection to the West Side Library. So, Crossings Branch. Crossings Branch, thank you. So I think we're ready to uh, return to the subject of uh, uh, public dollars and private buildings, and uh, Belinda's here, so... Go to the mic, name yourself, be brief, and uh, we'll enjoy this, uh, this next chapter, too. She has some interesting stories to tell, too. Thank you. Hi, Belinda. I'm, I'm Henning Mundell. <coughs> you've, you've used the words heritage, historic, and designated, and I'm wondering... Um, is there a specific year cutoff? Obviously, the atrium didn't qualify. Am I ever glad? I stopped by there on the way here. Yes, it's the wrecking is going on. They say it'll take a month. Um, and what are the criteria for designation, and who does the designation? So there's a few different questions in there. Um, 50 is sort of the cutoff. A building can be designated at any age, but to be eligible for money, a building has to be at least 50 years old within the province of Alberta. So think about the buildings that are from the 1960s. A lot of those could be designated at this time, which means it's a lot more buildings than people realize that are eligible. The designation depends if it's municipal or provincial. If it's municipal, the city has a committee called the Heritage, Heritage Advisory Committee. And they recommend to City Council buildings that they believe should be designated. And it is City Council that designates under a bylaw any municipally designated buildings. 
provincially designated buildings are designated through the province of Alberta. And um, if there's a building you believe should be designated, you can fill out the paperwork, submit it. It's about a 10-page document for the province. So p individuals, organizations can submit buildings and then they go forward to the province for designation and it would officially be the uh, minister who would finally sign off in designation. In my mind, I just use whichever one comes out nicest. Uh, <laughs> but there are designation criteria based on architecture, significance of the people who live there, all of those sort of things are weighted in the criteria for designation. Historic and heritage are, are not as clear-cut definitions um, for how they're used. Sometimes buildings are just old. My name is Tad Mitsui. And thank you very much for your presentation. I basically agree with everything you said. But uh, I'm not trying to be devil's advocate. What do you think of the effect? This may be the relevant question in Lethbridge because there's no earthquake here. But I come from Japan. I'm worried about earthquake. Uh, Christchurch in New Zealand had... Uh, uh, magnitude 6.8, and uh, all the older buildings all crumble. In Japan, 2011, magnitude 9.5. And uh, I was uh, allow, uh, allowed to go to Sendai. Mm -hmm. There was only one building crumbled. 100 years old Anglican Cathedral is condemned. It has to come down. Uh, new buildings, if you're worried about earthquake, usually built against effect of earthquake. So what do you think about that? Actually, Victoria, who has to worry about earthquakes more than we do, actually uses a tax incentive program around retrofitting historic buildings for earthquakes. Um, and so I'm not an engineer, but if that is something, you know, the city said was important, that we have seen very effective use of retrofitting historic buildings to make them safer in earthquake zones. Uh, Trevor Page. Um, I have two questions. The first one, I was a little confused about the images that you showed, which included Catwalk and Moko Cabana. Are these designated buildings? Are these? They are? Yes. Could you tell us what their historic value is? Of Bell's Welding and the Hicksell Building? Because that's how I would think of them. <laughs> um, what you call Mocha Cabana to a historian is Bell's Welding. And that building is a 1930s industrial building with a phenomenal design. If you've ever been in there, those walls are 10 inches thick because they had to be developed in such a way to handle the fire and the welding work that was being done there. We have recycled bridge material in there from some of the railroad bridges that were torn down. And it's a building that architecturally is quite unique in the design work that was done there. And that one is provincially designated. The Hicksell building, which is the, now the catwalk, was the first large uh, hardware store in Lethbridge. Um, that building was sort of a development in our commercial um, industry, 
and the Hicks Cell Partnership, there's two gentlemen by their different last names, um, was a very prominent business along Third Avenue for a very long time. And, and are there any sort of criteria which say that, well, I mean, you have to maintain not the integrity of the building, but the purpose of the building. I mean, if catwalk changes hands um, half a dozen times and goes from this to that to the other, what is the purpose of... I mean, th th there's no connection with the welding. I go to Mocha Cabana quite a lot, and I've never sort of checked out the walls. That's not what I go there for. And I go there for a cup of coffee. a plaque on the door that tells you everything I just told you? I will certainly look <laughs> the next time I go to Mocha Cabana. Because I feel badly because I helped write those. So if you're not reading them, I'm a little sad. Well, okay. <laughs> now I know I should read them. But that was the confusion. My question actually deals with public uh, contributions into the preservation of historic buildings, which I am in favor of. In Britain, we have the National Trust. And this is funded by the public and by the government. And buildings designated as buildings of historic interest by the National Trust uh, are preserved, and it offers a window for the public to contribute to buildings that they consider important. Do we have something similar in Canada, and is it being used in Lethbridge? We have what I like to call a weird Canadian compromise. We have Heritage Canada, which is the National Trust, but a lot of what the National Trust would do for National Historic Buildings is under Parks Canada. So it is partly under the federal government, partly under Heritage Canada, and it's, it, is an, it is an interesting thing at the federal level, which is one of the reasons I didn't go into great details. So the people who have the money are not necessarily the ones that has the passion for it. Um, so, and there are issues at that level. I won't take any blame. I was, you know, wasn't really around in 73 when they made that decision. So those of you who were, it's your fault. Um, but it is, it is not the most workable system, in my opinion, at the federal level. My name is Frank Toth. I have some very sorrowful information than a very important question for you. Thank you for your investigative speaking. Uh, there has been a continual social discrimination of the people that built this community, the pioneers. Your speech followed that discrimination line. You have never mentioned the coal miners that built this community. You spoke at the seniors and you are responsible for cajoling the city hall to put up a stone emblematic of the prostitution that went on in the year. That's the only thing I've ever heard you propone about. Okay, we have a group of people working their butts off to recognize the coal miners by trying to adopt that. If you uh, talked about preserving something, the number eight mine site. They've been working their butts off. I didn't hear one word of, of assistance or help for that. Okay, can we let her respond to that, Frank? Okay, the question is, what the hell is bringing on this social and class discrimination generation after city council after city council? 
first, I'm not on City Council, so I, can, I can't speak to uh, that part of it. But I will speak on behalf of the entire Lethbridge Historical Society. I'm only talking about one part of what we do. We do have a member who is on the Galt 8 Historical Society as a liaison between our societies. We have written many letters of support for the Galt 8 project. Today, my, you know, I only had half an hour. My focus was on these buildings that have been in the news. Personally, I would love to see Galt 8 Society purchase that land, have that preserved. And if you want me back for another talk, I can tell you why I think that's true as well. Um, coming from a family who had to illegally get into Canada because nobody wanted us, I won't even go into discrimination of families, so I'll just skip that part. Thank you very much for your talk and, and our conversations at the table. I'm Mary Shillington. Um, I'm interested when buildings are designated as heritage buildings or whatever they're designated as, is there any restrictions as to what they can be used for? And, and then, as uh, Trevor pointed out, uh, or, or maybe it was Henny, um, uh, you know, when, when it changes... Uh, like when they move out, is there restrictions on the next group and so on? So, if yes, it stays with the building. It does. It's irregardless of the owner. The it is on that building, so it's not like you can sell it and get rid of the designation through that. The restrictions are there on um, changes to the building, external changes, etc. And work has to be done in cooperation with um, someone from the province who. <laughs> Uh, we have somebody who works for the province here today. That's why I'm looking that way. But as to restrictions for use, that would be more under land use and bylaws and that sort of thing about where the building is located. So there are laws and bylaws that restrict uses of buildings, but not specifically about a historic building can't be used as such and such. That's under other laws. Okay, thank you. Since there's nobody behind me, maybe I can ask some other question. Another question. Uh, uh, at our table, there were some interesting discussions, and Trevor had a lot of questions. And uh, and one of the things he asked about was churches, local and so on. And so could you tell us something about what's happening about churches both here in, in uh, Lethbridge, and older churches in Lethbridge, and also something around the rural if you choose to do that? I don't think it's any surprise to people that a lot of rural churches are losing congregations. I mean, that's the reality of rural depopulation. But with churches and historic buildings, because it's so unique to how the congregation is set up and how that building is legally owned and maintained, it's sort of difficult to say. But there are a lot of historic buildings going on to, who are not, not being as well used, not being as well maintained. Uh, and the difficulty with buildings such as churches is they're huge. Even if they received $100,000, uh, it's not a lot of money. So there is certainly a concern for buildings as heritage buildings. And I guess my roundabout answer is I don't have the answer, but it's certainly something I hear a lot of people in the heritage field talking about. And um, all I can say is there's been a lot of buildings I've written letters about that have been politely ignored by the owners of those buildings. <laughs> I don't get responses. I keep writing letters. I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you, Belinda. It's always a pleasure to listen to you. Um, my question has to do with the fact that we have so many older buildings in Lethbridge, residential buildings, uh, particularly on the north side, some that, that are very interesting. These were homes of the coal miners and so on, some that are over 100 years old. So what would be criteria then? I mean, we could basically 
there must be hundreds of homes that people could come and say, my home's over 100 years old, you know, I'd like it to be uh, a heritage site and get the $100,000 for repairs. So <laughs> how, how do you decide? It's a lot more complicated than just being old. Like I said, it's based on the architecture, the historical relevance. Was there a famous person attached to it? So just being an old building does not put you into the heritage building realm. There are buildings that are just old buildings. And sort of just to update you, um, in the Staffordville area, which was a separate village till 1913, the city has just finished what's called an area redevelopment plan. And from the city's perspective, that's sort of, when I understand, the first thing they do when they're looking at a new neighborhood, and again, I'm not in the planning department, but having talked to some of the planners, they are keeping an eye on some of the old mine cottages and different buildings in that area. And I believe, and Jean is sitting here as pre, uh, chair of the Heritage Advisory, some of those cottages have been brought forward to Heritage Advisory. Um, and then, it, But it will take a long time because they have to research, research and so there are some of those that are going forward, um, and it's picking the best one to represent that type of building, because you're right, you can't designate everyone, unless you give me lots of money. Hi, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, first of all, could you tell us a little bit more about Saskatchewan? Uh, we're the richest province in the world, so to speak or should be. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Saskatchewan? And in particular to Lathbridge, could you tell us a little bit about the uh, building on 6th Avenue and 5th Street? I think it's owned by uh, Pete Fiorino. Could you tell us a little bit about what's happening with that place? It, it seems like there's something going on sometimes, but nothing. Uh, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that? why we all want to be Saskatchewan. Uh, Saskatchewan has, from what I've seen, and again, there's pros and cons of every system, but Saskatchewan has been very effectively using tax incentives, Regina, Saskatoon, and a few different places. And I think Saskatchewan has really understood how it is about putting the money into getting what you want. And I think that's when we look at some of those Saskatchewan models, that's what we're seeing. Uh, the building on 6th Avenue and 5th Street is a provincially designated building. It, um, depending on what name you know it by, it is the Connie Bear House. And Connie Bear was the first lawyer in the Northwest Territories, so the first lawyer in Alberta or Saskatchewan, served as city solicitor for a short time. He bought that property in 1888, built there in 1892, the year he got married, hurried to build it before his bride came to Lethbridge. Uh, short time later, he changed that building, we're not quite sure of all the financial details, with Charles McGrath, and he took Riverview, which is called the McGrath House, but Connie Bear lived in there longer, uh, just to complicate it. So Charles McGrath, our first mayor, lived in there for a short time. The Tennant family was in there. It also served as our first Jewish synagogue in Lethbridge, so the Jewish community used that as their synagogue for a short time, and then most people's memory of it would be the Regal Confectionery. So that building has an incredibly long history, and it is, as I said, provincially designated. The work that's being done, and again, under the standards and guidelines, work is being done on the building to, because it is designated. From what I understand, and this is as much as probably everybody knows, is um, Jack and Jill's is supposed to be going into the building, but there's also a new building planned for and constructed beside. And I've seen the plans for that building, and I have to tell you, it looks beautiful beside it. 
It, what I've seen is it looks like it's going to be a nice complimentary building, keeping in mind it's beside a historic building, and that's just my own personal opinion, but there's a building going there beside that one, which if, it, if it's built the way it looks, it should work well with it. We have time for more questions. <clears throat> well, uh, thank you for your talk. I'm Georgie Harper. I really want to be a devil's advocate. I'd love to have a historical house in the province. Or city give me fifty thousand once or twice or thrice. Is there any compensation when that building is sold or turned over where that money has to be paid back to the city or the province? That is not part of the system, no. Because it certainly sounds like a good deal to me. It's a good deal till you realize that a restoration of a historic window is going to cost you fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars, and you know in some cases this was what they were mentioning at the forum last week. Um, some of the things that you're going to do is going to be cost costly. So it's the trade off. You get money, but you're also maintaining something that can be expensive on behalf of everybody. But yes, I agree with you. I want to live in a historic building too. Uh, Belinda, uh, my question as I drive around uh, concerns some of that housing on 6th Avenue South and 7th and so on that look to my unpracticed eye as being quite old. Uh, uh, are, are there any of those houses um, being viewed as historic uh, places and, uh, or, or have I misjudged the age of them? No, you're, you're talking London Road. London yeah. Road, top of my head, there'll be about seven designated buildings in there. Oh. Um, there are several buildings in that area. Uh, because Riverview, the McGrath House is there designated. The Connie Bear House is designated. The Ryland House was just designated by the city last year. Uh, the Hague property in there, the Norse property. So there are several properties in there that are designated. The uh, Red Cross building is designated. Several buildings in there. Okay. But yes, that is our that is our oldest area of residential development. How um, old is it? Eighteen uh, eighties would some would be, and then eighteen nineties, nineteen hundreds. Last call for questions here. We can quit early. You don't have to. Ask. Yep, when we we can. We will. There's no questions. Uh, we, came, we lived in Brandon before we moved to... Uh, I'm Mary Shillington again. We lived in Brandon before still. we moved here. Uh, still, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I had a friend uh, on a board with me, and he lived in a huge historic house. And if he wanted to change the color of the kitchen, he had to go through the authorities in order to do that. I assume, perhaps, that's the same regulations here. Um, that depends on the place you're at. We designate, from what I understand, the outside of the building. Interiors are not necessarily designated. I mean, from what I, yeah. In some places, Ontario, there's a, there's a more thorough designation of the inside. Um, Alberta is outside. Okay. Hi, I'm Ted Stilson. I'm the executive director for the Lethbridge Main Street Project. I just wanted to clarify an earlier statement that was made about it'd be nice to get the 50000 or 100000 The reality is that the property owner has to match those funds. So every dollar that the property owner put or the province puts in or the city puts in through the Main Street project 
has to be matched by the, the property owner. So there's a big commitment. It isn't just you get $50,000 and then you do the job. Every dollar that comes from the province or the city has to be matched by the owner of that property. Can I just say one thing? Life isn't always fair. <laughs> and and the and the new owners of that property, yes, they get a, the value does go up, but because the it stays on the title of that building, the new owner has to adhere to those guidelines. They have to make sure that anything that's character defining, that's historical on that building, has to be maintained. So they can't change that. Um, without permission of the local government or the provincial government. So. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. She just wanted me to sweat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll ask you to use the mic if you have comments to make. Okay, maybe we'll make this the last question, Knut. Okay. Uh, Linda, I'm going to talk about, not that I'm a particularly religious person, but uh, the churches on 4th Avenue, uh, Southminster and St. Pat's, are they both uh, designated historic buildings, or are they not yet? While it is possible to designate without an owner, it is, it's really difficult because you have to get permission from minister, and you have to, they decide what it costs. So um, almost no designation proceeds without the owner's permission. Um, South Minister, I know, is in meetings with Heritage Advisory. St. Patrick's refuses to designate or discuss designation. What would the reason for that be? I mean, is that the bishop's decision, or it's the bishop's yeah, okay. decision? <laughs> Such a wise and knowing laugh around the room. <laughs> I was trying to be politically correct. <laughs> but basically, uh, in in bigger buildings like that, the fifty thousand dollars doesn't go very far to to uh, do anything really with those type of size to building. Okay, one one more comment and use the mic, please. Is, uh, Speak into the mic, please. Lottery, mon lottery money goes into the Historical Resources Foundation and grants. Some of the churches consider lottery money the devil's money and they won't apply for it. So they do not want their churches or congregations to have be part of that. In the northern part of the province, a lot of them have always raised funds through bingos and lotteries and they don't have any problem with it at all. So you can't jam dollars down or anybody's throat, but that's the fact of why a lot of the churches do not get designated because of the lotteries. I'm sorry, do you want to give us your name before you leave the mic? Reno Basso. I'm retired, and I worked with Heritage Resources. Okay, thank you. Okay, I see, seeing no other people at the mics, uh, let's give a hearty thanks to Belinda Croson.